Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. So, uh, my name's Tim. Um, we are in a series of teachings uh, called, the series is called Stories of the Kingdom. We're looking at these, these kingdom stories that Jesus taught called the parables. And this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. So if you'd like to turn there, if you want to follow along in your own Bible, uh, Matthew's right after Malachi, right before Mark. It's the first book of the New Testament. So a couple years ago, um, I read this book called Story by Robert McKee. Uh, it's on screenwriting. Has anybody read anybody read this book? On one hand, yeah. Anybody else? Story? It's good. Do you like it? It's good. Yeah, I thought it was a really good, good book. It's about screenwriting. Now, I don't, I've never written a, like a movie script, and I have no plans to. In fact, um, for someone who communicates regularly, I am not... Uh, I've been told I'm not that good of a writer, so um, thank you, brother, and for telling that. And uh, but uh, but it's but it's very. And McKee he talks about uh, the reason I the reason I liked it is because he unpacks kind of the elements of story in the book, and and I do I, I study biblical stories, I listen to people's stories, I tell stories, and so I wanted you know I want to think about this. So it's it's a really helpful book. And, you know, in it, at the beginning especially, he talks about what makes a good story, what makes a powerful story. And one of the elements is you have to have a good uh, main character, a good, uh, a strong protagonist. And there's a few things, he says, that are critical for a protagonist. One, that the main character, the protagonist, has to have an object of desire. They have to want something. They have to want something. Two, the, the main character has to, has to be willing to risk for this thing they want. And three, they need to risk, they need to be able to, like, not only risk, but they have to, they, they have to be willing to even suffer for this thing they want. A, a, good, a good main character has to have a, they, they have to desire, be willing to risk, and even suffer for this thing they desire. He says it this way, there's a quote in the book. And McKee says, the measure of the value, the measure of the value of a character's desire is in direct proportion to the risk he's willing to take to achieve it. The greater the value, the greater the risk. For a good story, you have to have a protagonist who wants something, is willing to risk and suffer for it, right? I mean, isn't that necessary? I mean, imagine, imagine like if, if Harry said, you know, Voldemort, I, we're just going to let him go and do his thing. I'm not going to worry about stopping him or or what if, what if luke said yeah i'll i'll help with the rebellion but if it gets too inconvenient i'm just i'm out or what if what if nemo's dad marlin said you know i'll look around the coral reef i'm not gonna go search the whole ocean for you know like the, right that those aren't as good of movies then they kind of fall apart and now maybe you've seen movies and you kind of wish that happened i now in in high school i watched titanic Multiple times in the theater. There's a little backstory to that. And, um, but there definitely were times where I was like, Jack, just give up on road. Just, it's not worth it anymore. You know, I kind of, but, but that, 
that's not the point. The point is to a good, for a good story, you have to have this, this, this protagonist, this main character who has a desire, not just a, but a desire they're willing to risk and even suffer for. And when McKee says this, I, I don't think he's just, note, he's not just saying this is, this is just a, what makes an interesting story to listen to. It's not just about, so ultimately, I believe what McKee is seeing is that this is, about, this is true about stories because it's true about life. Great lives require desire, the willingness to risk and even suffer for those things we want. Great lives require these deep desires and the willingness to risk and even suffer for these things. Jesus, you know, um, in, his, in his life on earth, in his different encounters with people, there's a question that he asked different people. Oftentimes he would say, what do you want? He would ask people, what do you want? And I think it's a, it's a prof- what do you most want? And in fact, the spiritual giants, the spiritual mothers and fathers of the Jesus movement throughout the centuries, many of them have said one of the most kind of profound and important questions to our spiritual growth is be able to answer the question, what do we want? What do we desire? And, and maybe, we've, maybe we've buried it. Maybe we've ignored it. Maybe we've never even looked at that question. But what is that thing? We all have these things that drive us, that energize us, that compel us. I don't mean the surface, the things underneath the things, the things pushing us along in life. What do we want? Jesus, we're going to see, he tells several stories on these themes of desire, of risk, of suffering. And we're going to look at a couple of these stories today and just see what it might say into those elements of our lives uh, for ourselves. So uh, we're going to, let's, let's turn and look at that now. We're going to be in Matthew 13 and beginning in verse 44. This is what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure... Hidden in a field. When a, man, when a man found it, he hid it again. And then, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, He went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So Jesus tells these two two mini stories, these two very short stories. Uh, One about a man, a treasure in a field, and one about a man looking for pearls, both involving desire and risk. And uh, the first one, I just want to take a minute and look at this first one. Can we pull up the, there we go, verse 44. So um, this first story. The kind of the background, you know, Jesus and his listeners, they lived in a time and place, first century Palestine, where uh, most the land in the past, families had kind of these generational farms they took care of. 
But in Jesus' day, because of taxation and corruption, so much of the land had been concentrated in the hands of fewer and fewer absentee landlords. People couldn't pay their taxes. They'd have to sell off their family land. And so these absentee landlords collected more and more land. And more and more people then were forced to live as day laborers or tenant farmers. And so this, the, kind of the, the background of the story, the, the thing Jesus is asking people to imagine is there's this, this tenant farmer, this day laborer, who's working, who's in this, this, this field of an absentee landlord. So the man is, we, he's poor, he's impoverished. And you can even imagine, you know, perhaps, perhaps you can imagine he has a wife and a small child at home. And, and he's, trying, he's trying to make ends meet. He's trying to pay his taxes, trying to feed his, his wife and kids. He's just trying to get through life. And one day he's out in this field. Maybe it's an olive grove and he's, he's doing his work and he's walking. And uh, maybe he's kind of by himself. And then he kicks this rock. And, and what is revealed is kind of the neck of this clay jar. And, it, what, and he gets down and what's this? And he, and he pulls, maybe there's a cloth kind of jammed down in the neck. And he pulls it out. And in this clay jar, he sees more gold and silver coins than he's ever seen in one place in his entire life. It's this treasure buried in the field. And this, I mean, it's not totally, I mean, in this, this day and age, uh, people... People actually buried treasure in fields now and again. I mean, you, you know, maybe we don't do that so much anymore. But they didn't have, there wasn't like the first National Bank of Jerusalem or something like, you know, where you could put it in the bank. Like most wealth was in, in the form of land or animals. And people, the coins they had, they keep it on their bodies. Or if they had too much, they bury it like in their, in their house, in their bedroom where, you know, thieves couldn't get to it. But if, if they were going away or there's a war, you know, they, they need it. Okay, where else am I going to bury this? They, they just find some random place in their property where nobody would look to bury it, like in a field. And so every now and again, there'd be these stories. It's kind of like winning a lottery. Somebody find a buried treasure. So this is what Jesus is asking us to imagine. This, this poor man finds this treasure, and now he's got a, he's got a, he finds it. Um, and, and so the idea is that sometime in the past, is at, before the absentee landlord, someone buried this treasure here. Now the absentee landlord owns the land, doesn't even know about it. And the man is like, what, what am I going to do? How, how am I going to get this? And he doesn't want to just take it because, one, that'd be stealing. And then, and two, you know, if he just showed up with all this money, maybe somebody would trace it back to that and the landlord would come asking for it. So he's like, okay, I have to buy this field. So it's legally my treasure. That's what I have to do. So he, buried, you know, he buries it so nobody else comes across it. And then he goes, you know, he goes home and um, he's, po- he's poor. He, he just doesn't have the money to buy this field. So he's like, I have to sell everything. That if I'm going to get enough money to buy it, I have to sell it all. Now, I, I just imagine, what was that conversation with his wife like? Like, huh, okay, honey, we're selling everything. All right, this is what we're going to do, you know. And so he just, they sell the house, and they sell the cookware, and they sell the donkey, and they, they sell his, you know, his backcountry skis, and, you know, Aunt Betty's china passed down through generations, and the kid's bike, and just they just sell everything. They're extra, everything with the clothes on their back, they sell it all. I, you know, I wonder if the whole time he's like, what if somebody else finds that treasure? He, you know, but he, he, get, he collects all this money and then he, he contacts the landlord and, uh, and he buys the field. Not, it's out of joy. I mean, can you imagine his excitement? This is his family's ticket out of poverty. He buys the field and everything is changed for this family. And I, and, I, and I hear this, this story that Jesus tells and I find myself addressed by it and I wonder things like, what, what would I sell everything for? 
What would I go all in for? Maybe not literally sell things, but kind of there's these deeper senses that we can go all in. What would I go all in, totally abandon myself to? What would you go all in for? Jesus, he tells this story, this first story about desire and joy and risk. And then he tells a second one, very much like it. And this second story, this time it's about a, uh, a merchant. So instead of a, an impoverished man, we have a fairly well-to-do man. And this, this man, he's a, he's a merchant. Uh, and he buys and sells pearls. And pearls in the first century, they were, you know, today pearl, pearls are valuable. But back then, they were kind of the, the gem par excellence. They were, they were one of the most expensive objects in the world. And so this, this, the, these pearls. And so this guy's a buyer and seller of pearls. And I kind of imagine him not just he's buying and selling pearls to make a buck. But like I imagine someone, he loves pearls. I mean, he's kind of obsessed with pearl. He dreams about the perfect pearl. The beautiful pearl, you know, rich in color and perfect in shape. That somewhere out there is this perfect pearl. And one day, he's out, you know, he's, he's, he's going to these distant marketplaces where they do pearl diving. And, and he comes across this beautiful, perfect pearl. And he thinks, that's what I've always been looking for. And, and he's, been, he's out shopping for pearls, so he's got his bank, he's got his purse with him. And he, but he doesn't have enough coinage to buy it. And so he goes back home. And he too, he goes home and he sells it. He sells his house, sells his boat, sells everything. He even sells all the other pearls he's ever collected. And the whole, you know, is the pearl, will it be there when I get back? And then he goes back and he buys the pearl of his dreams. Desire, joy, risk. These two stories that provoke the question, like, what? You know, what would I sell everything for? What would, you, what would you go all in for? I mean, you're just every, what would you abandon every part of yourself to? What would you go all in for? Jesus tells these two stories, these two pictures of two people who go all in. Who one, one is poor, one is rich. One is one stumbles across the thing of their dreams. One has been searching for it. Neither of them, neither of them sell everything because they feel like they, they ought to or should or it's the right thing to do. No, it's joy. It's thrill. It's excitement. They abandon themselves to this. And both of them consider selling everything a bargain, a small price to pay. For what they gain. These two stories. What is Jesus. What is Jesus saying. What's he saying through these parables. These stories of the kingdom. I mean I think. I think all Jesus teaching. I find it to be like multifaceted. And, and it's you can never exhaust the meaning. There's always new things. But but. At least one of the things that I find Jesus saying through this, I, I hear him speaking to these, these themes of desire and risk, willingness to suffer. Jesus, I, I get the sense that, that he's saying that, that, that we, that every one of us has these desires 
Every one of us has these things underneath in our lives that drive us, that compel us along. And I, and I don't mean, when I say we all have desires, I don't mean the surface level. I mean, we all, we all have surface, you know, I want a Prius, or I want a vacation, or, you know, I want to get, you know, I want to make the soccer team, or I want to graduate, or whatever. We got these things, right? But there, every one of us have these, these things down here, right? I want to be, I want to be, I want to feel powerful. I want to be found attractive. These things, these things like I want to experience a kind of beauty that overwhelms. I want to find a truth that I can base my life on. We have these things, these deep desires that energize us and drive us along. And I think Jesus recognized that. And he's making the claim. He's saying, the, my, Jesus is saying, my kingdom, when people really when they see it for what it is, Jesus is saying, my kingdom, me and my kingdom, when, when people see it for what it is, they realize this is the thing they've always been longing for. I mean, it is an audacious claim he is making. And I, and I don't and I don't mean and, and I don't think Jesus is saying something kind of trivial like so pray you go to church and you'll be happy. No, it's not this kind of it's not this trivial thing. And it's and I'm not saying so you know you know my prepackaged version of Jesus or this human prepackaged version you know that'll that'll but I, Je- I, I do believe the living Jesus is saying the living Christ is saying me and my reality my kingdom of justice and mercy the living Christ. The, the real Jesus who came to this earth, who called people to surrender, who healed people, the Jesus who extended mercy to those who thought they didn't deserve it, the Jesus who confronted power, the Jesus who went to the cross believing that his death would be the hinge point of history, the Jesus who defeated the grave, the Jesus who, who says that he, all things were created through him, are upheld by him. All things find their ultimate meaning in him. This Jesus in his kingdom, he's saying that our deepest desires ultimately point towards him. And he says, what's my kingdom like? He says, you'll, you'll know my kingdom, you'll see my kingdom. Not because people will feel like they should go all in. But as people grasp who I am and what my kingdom is about, you'll see people with joy abandon themselves to my kingdom. With joy surrender themselves to my kingdom. Risk themselves for me and my kingdom. And find it a bargain for what they gain in return. I want to invite up a new friend, Franzi. We've gotten to know each other a little bit over the last month. And, uh, you know, this series, while we do these uh, this kingdom, Stories of the Kingdom series, we've been, we've been t- talking about these, these stories that Jesus told. But then we've also wanted to make space for, for real-life, flesh-and-blood stories of where his kingdom is still breaking in. And Franzi is one of these stories. And thank you for your willingness to share it with us today. So let me give you this mic, and I will get out of your way. Yeah, give her a hand. Give her a hand. Thank you so much. Um, hello together. So as Tim said, my name is Francie, and I'm really, really excited and thankful to stand here right now and um, to share my story with you. 
And for those who know me, know that I'm actually a really quiet and shy person. And it's a really big step for me to stand here. And for me, that already shows how much uh, God is working in me and how much God shaped me over this past year since I know him. Um, so a little bit more about myself. I'm an exchange student from Germany. I came here last August to study at Whatcom Community College, and I didn't grow up in a religious family. Um, I knew basic things, like um, I knew that there is the Bible, I knew about the Bible, but I didn't knew what the Bible was teaching. I know that there is a God, and I know that people worship that God and pray to that God, but that was actually all I knew. Um, the interesting thing is that even back then, when I wouldn't call myself a religious person, I was praying um, for my family and friends when something bad happened and I couldn't find a way to help them. I was praying to God um, to help them and it always helped. It's, um, it's just so great when I look back now that God was already helping and loving me and my friends and my family before we or I even knew him. And that's just really great. So um, I came here then last August, and I started um, going to school in the middle of September. And the first person I met here, um, she's a Catholic. And for most of you, that's probably not a big deal, but for me it is, because she was the first person I ever met who is religious. And um, so I talked with her a lot. Um, and God led my way to um, a club, club on campus called Campus Christian Fellowship. And... <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that was the first time that I really got the chance to get to know God and learn more about him. And um, so I started to go into the club and I got involved. And I would say now that was the start of my spiritual journey. Um, for me, the most important thing that I learned and um, also the thing that made me commit my life to Jesus is um, his love. Uh, I love that uh, little verse, uh, God is love, in John 4, 8. Um, it's so short, but it's also so powerful and true. Um, God loved me and God loved all of us before I even knew him. Um, yeah, so um, I saw God working and loving um, the people around me so much. Uh, not even people who, I, who were my friends, also people that I didn't even knew so good. So um, I never had a problem to see that, but I always had a problem to see God uh, working in me and loving me. And there was a, um, a conference called All Nations I went to. Um, it's like a kind of leadership conference for international students, made by international students. And that was the time, um, I wouldn't say it was a point, but it was a process for me. That was the day or the time when I realized that God loves me too. Um, he works in me all the time. He worked in me back in Germany. He works in me right now, and he works in all of us. And this moment was, it was just so great for me. So um, that was also the time when I decided to um, follow him and to put him first. Uh, I got baptized uh, in the, at the beginning of June, and I was, so that was a big step for me. <laughs> Thank you. And... I'm, I'm really excited to go back to Germany and to tell my friends and my family about it um, because I think everybody is worth it and everybody should know about that treasure Tim was talking about. Um, I, I'm really, really thankful um, for all of you. 
I d don't even know all of you, I know, but <laughs> um, you, or Hillcrest and Bellingham is the point where my journey started, and you are my first community, and I will never forget that. And um, I want to thank you, and I also want to encourage you to never stop telling people about that treasure. Um, because it changed my life, and I think it changed a lot of <laughs> your lives. And I think everybody should get that chance. Everybody should get the chance, chance to let God change their life through us. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just really, really thankful um, for that. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. Good job, thank you. Franzi, thanks again for sharing that. And your your story is a sacred thing. And it, um, thanks for the courage of sharing it with us. Yeah, we appreciate that. So Jesus says his kingdom uh, is this, this thing that when, whether we stumble across it, it finds us or we search and find it, that we respond in joy. And go all in, and um, and here's the thing that that it's not uh, that we don't even start the movement um, in the in the sense that before before we find the kingdom, before we're found by the kingdom, before we go all in, uh, Jesus has already gone all in for us. That that he Jesus is the main character. He is the best protagonist. Jesus has this. The, Jesus has the object of that he desires that, that he desires that men and women would know him. That this world that was created by God, that in the, in the ways that unmercy and injustice has broken out, his desires that it would be healed and put back together, and that his shalom peace would reign in this world. That is his desire, and he stepped out. He came to earth. And he risked and suffered on behalf to see that take place. One writer says it this way. That uh, says, for the joy set before him. In the same way that the man, in the, the man with the field, for the joy of the treasure, he sold everything. Jesus, for the joy of seeing men and women adopted as sons and daughters of God, he endured the cross. Another writer saying about Jesus uh, says it this way. It says, though, Jesus, though he, though Jesus was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And it's not talking about economic, this is a metaphor of that uh, for what Jesus, because of his desire to see men and women forgiven and in relationship with the living God, to see this world, his, his restoration break out in this world. For that, he emptied him, he gave it all, he went all in. He sold everything. So that people could be found, could find the kingdom. This is what motivates people to the kingdom. And so we're going to center in on this now uh, through the act of communion. Uh, communion is this act that uh, Jesus' followers have done for two millennia to remember, to rehearse this central giving of God in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. 
And uh, communion is where we, we remember it, we rehearse it, we relive it. And so uh, I'd like to invite those who are serving this morning to come forward. And the way, uh, what we'll do is we'll have, uh, we'll have two stations up front, one here and one here. And then we'll have three stations in back. There and then the gluten-free station is the back center one and the one over there. And the way uh, the way we do uh, the way we do communion here at Hillcrest is in a moment I'll pray and when you're ready you're you're whenever you're ready you're welcome to come forward and form lines at one of these stations. And uh, the server will hold out the basket of bread and say something like the body of Christ broken for you. And you can simply take a piece of bread and then uh, the person holding the cup will say something like the blood of Christ was shed for you. And you can dip it in the cup and eat of it uh, before you head back to your seat. And this, this again, this is where we, uh, we as followers of Jesus, we recenter our lives and say, thank you that Jesus, you, before I did anything, thank you that you went all in for us. And if you're here and you're, and you're not yet a Jesus person, you're, you're exploring Christianity, you're exploring faith, we are glad you're here and don't want you to feel pressured to pretend or fake it. Feel free to observe this, this act that Christians have done for 2,000 years. Let me pray uh, now and then you can come forward uh, when you're ready. Jesus... Um, Jesus, you say uh, that when we, we see you in your kingdom, that it's, we find what we've been longing for. And um, Jesus, even this morning, would you, kinda, would you stir our hearts? Would you even reveal to us what we are longing for? Uh, Jesus, I know that even in my own heart, there's things that drive me and motivate me that I'm probably very unaware of. Would you help me even see uh, what I truly desire? Jesus, would you, uh, would you show us who you are? Would you take away these, uh, if there's falsehoods or lies about you or misrepresentations to you, would you strip those away? Would you reveal yourself to us in all your uh, amazing goodness and your, um, your radical, even your severity? There's just you, you as you truly are and your kingdom as it really is. And would you draw us to yourself? Fill our hearts with joy. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.